0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starting at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. The next reading is over the page, um, page 1,156, 1 Corinthians 15:50 50 to58. "I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable." Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your
0: labour in the Lord is not in vain. Good morning, everyone. Well done for making it through the rain to be here. It's very good to be here now with God's Word open in front of us. And Do keep your Bibles open at that reading from 1 Corinthians. We'll be looking mainly at 1 Corinthians 15. We'll start there, so... Uh, that's one one five seven in the pew Bibles, and uh, there's no handout this week. The the photocopier was having a bad week this week, but I think the key points will come up on the screen behind me. If all go as well, let me pray as we look at God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would make us wise this morning, as we look now at your word. Please show us what a wise life looks like. And then, Father, we ask for a deep work of your spirit to not just understand, but to be changed. Please, may our lives reflect in practice what we think about this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. It is a terrible thing to be deceived. I heard this week about a woman who met someone online this person was called Brian and the woman thought that she had met the man of her dreams. They started a, a relationship by email. They corresponded a lot online and they became closer and closer and the plan was to get married, to buy a house together, to, to share life together. Uh, Brian needed some financial help. He needed some help moving and it, it was going to cost £10,000. She gave him £10,000. £10,000. And then Brian disappeared because his name was not Brian, a terrible scam. This week we've heard about the demise of the travel company Thomas Cook and I gather that something like 400 million pounds had already been spent by people looking forward to a future holiday, trusting Thomas Cook to deliver that holiday, but they discovered this week they've been deceived because Thomas Cook cannot deliver the promised holiday And it is a a terrible thing to be deceived. We hear stories of, of scams and we're rightly angry by what people do to each other. We hear stories of failed holiday companies and we feel sympathy for those impacted. And also we feel relief if we weren't involved ourselves. But here's the thing this morning. The Bible says that there are far worse deceptions taking place than scams and failed holiday companies. Many, many people today are investing their whole lives, the best of their time and energy and money and resources and dreams into things that will never fulfill. Investing in things of this world that offer us so much, but ultimately always let us down. And so because it is a terrible thing to be deceived, at the start of this new term, we're looking at what the Bible says about how to wisely invest in our lives in things that will never let us down, things that have a lasting value. And this morning the Apostle Paul writes with great news. Look at One Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's wonderful words. Paul wants to help us live lives that are not in vain. We looked at this passage last week and Paul's just been writing about a glorious future, a life beyond death where these frail and mortal bodies are upgraded to bodies that are perfected and eternal. Paul's been talking about how it's possible to live in the new creation beyond the threat of death and beyond the fear of God's judgment for sin. A wonderful picture he's been painting for us of the future. And this future is no scam because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross to deal with our sin. He was raised from the dead to show us there is life beyond the grave. And because of what happened 2,000 years ago, we can look forward to our future with absolute confidence that we will make it into the new creation, that wonderful picture that Paul's been showing us. And so Paul wants us to live life now wisely in light of that glorious future. So verse 58, therefore he says, in light of this glorious eternal future, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Last week we saw that part of what Paul means when he talks about laboring in the Lord is speaking about Christ Going to anyone and everyone and telling them the best news in the world. There is a way beyond death. It is only through Jesus. This week, we're going to look at another big way that Paul talks about working and laboring. And this week, we're looking at Christians serving other Christians. We're going to see that when we truly grasp the future we have in Christ... It should lead us to invest serving other Christians now in the present. And so two points for us this morning. The first is this. Serving other Christians is labor. There's a house at the end of our road which is going through major renovation work. They've taken the roof off. They've added an additional floor. They've extended up the back. And I quite enjoy, as I walk the dog by each day, just seeing how things are gradually evolving and taking shape as this house has worked on and, and grown and changed. So, of course, the thing is that it doesn't happen by itself. Every day you walk by, there are laborers busy um, working away, hammering, sawing, cutting, building this building, growing it, changing it through their hard labour. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says the people of God are like a building. We are being grown brick by brick, changing, evolving, becoming more glorious um, in God's glory. And it happens not by itself, but as people labor, like on a building site, laboring to build the body, grow it. Well, then, in one Corinthians twelve, and do turn to one Corinthians twelve now, just very briefly, the the, um, the picture changes from a building site to a, a body being grown. So, look at uh, one Corinthians twelve, verse four. Paul writes: "There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working." But the same God works all of them in all men. God gives his people gifts. He wants us to use them to serve. But then, did you notice verse six, that he wants us to work? The word there has the same root as the word for work back in chapter 15. The goal of this serving, this working, verse seven, is the common good that is the body of Christ being built up. It's a wonderful picture. Us here this morning, different people but but one body, all gifted differently by the Lord in order to be able to serve each other with that great desire of the common good, the body growing, changing, evolving gloriously to become more like Christ. But it is labour. It's a work. We'll glance forward to 1 Corinthians 16. This is our final cross-reference this morning. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. As Paul comes to the end of his letter, he says this, verse 15. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the, servants of the service of the saints. This is 1 Corinthians 12 in action. Here is Stephanus, his household, using their gifts to serve the saints, build the body of Christ. But keep reading, verse 16. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. See those two words, work, labor, the same words that Paul uses back in 1 Corinthians 15, words that describe the serving of other Christians. So I hope we can see that Christian service is labor. It's hard work. And the thing is, if you were to go and ask a a, a Christian at Corinth, um, tell me, that. The kind of Christian life you lead, how, how laborious is it? How hard is your Christian service? And they would say, it's not hard at all. Because if you read through 1 Corinthians, you'd find in chapter 1 that they were f- fighting with one another, forming factions. Chapter 2, they were boasting about their worldly strength and wisdom. Chapter five, you find that there was some serious sexual immorality taking place in the church, but no one cared enough to say anything about it. Chapters eight and nine, they were eating whatever food they wanted, even if it caused a brother or sister in Christ great offense. They just didn't care. In chapter 12, they were using their God-given gifts for self-promotion. Chapter 13, they didn't love each other. You see, it's very easy to serve ourselves, that comes naturally. Much harder, it's a labor to serve other Christians. And so back in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll spend the rest of our time now in our main reading, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's great longing is to help the Corinthians and us to be about this laboring, serving other Christians. Here's our main verse again, verse 58. Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. That is your serving of the saints because you know that your labor in the Lord, the serving of the saints, is not in vain. Serving other Christians is labor. Now in a room this size, I know that we all have different experiences of, of Christian service. Some of you are on the edge of Christian things. You've, you've not gotten involved at all. Just looking in, it's great to have you here this morning. Others of us have given a huge amount in our Christian service over the years. Uh, you work worked very hard. You've um, given people lifts to the hospital. You've been busy cooking meals, showing hospitality. You've called around to encourage someone who needs a bit of help. You've, you've written kind notes to build people up. You've been praying for people, preparing Bible studies, Teaching our young people, strimming the grass in the churchyard. And if you have been serving well, laboring, then, well, thank you. Keep going. It is right to experience a sense of laboring in our Christian service. And many of you, as you've served, discovered that actually it's a wonderful thing to serve. You rejoice in serving. In fact, it feels right. It brings us joy and satisfaction. It's a good thing to serve. And you say, well, actually, yes, it is hard work, but I I do love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I know many of you are serving very well. But there'll be others here this morning who perhaps are in danger of thinking a bit more like the Corinthians about our experience of church life. And you, you don't expect serving to be laborious, It's not that we're lazy or don't work hard in our day jobs or at home, but but when it comes to church life, we just don't expect to have to to dig deep in order to serve. It should just come naturally, we think, or instinctively, but, but it often doesn't. When we arrive in the church building, it's very easy to sit on our own or next to people we know well. It's much more work to sit next to someone else on their own or to someone we don't know to show them kindness and hospitality. When someone has us around for lunch, it's lovely to be invited, but I wonder how often we are inviting other people around for lunch. After a long day of work, we get back exhausted. It's small group night tonight. And we think, I've been working hard all day. I just need a night off. But we realize that serving Christians, going to small group what's well, also labor. We're called to labor and work at it. We're happy to support our friends when they're going through a hard time at work, but when they go off work with anxiety and depression, and when it becomes much more demanding to be a good friend to them, then we think, well, I didn't expect to have to labor like that in my friendships. It's easy to pull away when it costs too much. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is calling us to a kind of Christian service that is labor. It's hard work. How can we have this expectation and keep going? We're all busy, often tired. Well, the key for Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is knowing what happens when we die. When I was learning to drive, my dad very kindly offered to take me out in the family car. And I still very clearly remember that first outing with him. I went to change gears from first gear to second gear. The adrenaline was coursing through my veins and I um, I rather overly vigorously yanked the gear lever down and I I actually tore it out of the floor of the car. The whole thing just there dangling in my hands. And as I looked to my left and saw in horror this thing in my hand, I I veered right and into oncoming traffic and towards a a grassy bank on the far side. Fortunately, no cars were coming at that point. My dad grabbed the wheel, swerved me back on the safe side. We pulled over and stopped. And we got the thing back into the floor of the car and somehow it kept working. (laughs) We got to the next junction. I was so flustered by the experience that... um, I hate T-junctions, um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't pull away. I, I stole the car, I think, five or six times. I was just so flustered, and the smell of burning clutch <laughs> lingers in the memory a long time. I tell you that story because throughout the whole um, experience, my, my dad was um, remarkably calm, unflappable, wasn't nervous at all. And you think, how is it possible for, for dad to watch his son kind of destroy his car and not mind? Well, here's the thing. He'd been planning to buy a new car for years. <laughs> He'd been saving money, it was all sorted out. He actually had this, the very car in mind. But he thought, Pete's got to learn to drive. I'll wait. <laughs> Thank you for that endorsement, yes. <laughs> I'll wait until he's finished, and then we'll get the new car. And so he gave me the old banger. It had over 200,000 miles on the clock. It was you know, falling apart in many ways, lots of dents and scratches. And that's why he didn't mind what I was doing to his car. That was the old model. The best is yet to come. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has been reminding us that these present frail bodies are the old model. At best, we get 70, 80, 80 maybe 90 years of use out of them, but they get increasingly frail and battered and broken down. But Paul is saying there's a new model to come. It's much, much better. It's a perfected model that lasts forever. And in the new creation, yes, we'll go on serving, but the service then won't be hard and laborious like it is now because we won't have the old bodies anymore. And to get our heads around that story, the old now The new then is a great help when serving feels laborious. When we feel introverted and want to curl up on the sofa, when caring for someone means we end up losing sleep because we're worried about what they're facing in life, when we miss a night off to write a Bible study rather than resting, or when we choose to go on a holiday that wasn't our choice, but we've compromised to include other people who just need some TLC and a break. You see, when serving feels like labor, it's a huge help to know that these current bodies are the old model and the best is yet to come. If we do feel a bit battered and bruised, a bit worn down, a bit tired, a bit exhausted, it's okay. Remember what's to come. Having eternity clearly in our minds liberates us now to use these bodies that we have for a few years just to go for it, to serve, because we've got new ones coming. It's okay. Serving other Christians is labor. Second, serving other Christians is not in vain. There are so many things in life that we work hard for. We work hard in our education. We work hard to save up for a house. We work hard to get money to enjoy a holiday. We work hard to to buy new clothes and a, a new car if you're my dad. We work hard to build our reputations, to grow our worldly achievements. We work hard to stay fit and healthy. The world says that these things can fulfill us. They can meet our deepest longings and make us truly happy. But there's a deception taking place because these things in this life now, whilst good and in and of themselves, they can never meet our deepest longings, never make us truly happy. But here's one thing that will last forever, the Christians that we serve. Look at verse 58 again. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Christ has died. Christ has been raised. Which means that when we die, we will be raised with new bodies. Which means that the Christians that we care for now, that we labour for now are people that last forever the people we have around for lunch the young people that we teach on a Sunday morning the person we drive to the hospital appointment on a Monday morning the cleaning of the church building that means that we can offer good hospitality the bible study we write the one to ones that we um, care for the time we carve out to pray for people, the new person we sit next to on a Sunday morning, the tea and coffee that we serve, all these areas, and many, many more, they're all worth it, not in vain, because the people we are serving last forever. And not everything does. It's easy to be deceived by by money. I was speaking on this um, a little while ago with our 20s and 30s, and I, I sort of played the... What's the worst that could happen game with them? Many of them are kind of young in their careers, just starting out working. And I said, just imagine um, in a few weeks' time, your boss comes to you and says, you've been working really well for the last couple of years. I want to give you a a promotion, a pay rise. Would you consider it? And you're thinking, well, should I take this promotion? And you you think, well, actually, um, it's going to mean that I I have to work much longer hours, which will probably mean I won't be able to go to a small group anymore because I'm too busy at night. I'll, I'll work late because I'm tired during the week I won't be able to prepare for Sunday morning looking after the kids next door in the church centre so I have to pull back from that team and the prayer triplet that I meet up with every week I'm going to have to let go of that as well I'll still come on Sunday but I'm going to have to strip right back on all the serving I do but it's a 10 grand pay rise and so I said to the 20s and 30s what's the worst that could happen if you said no to the pay rise well let's push it forward 35 years to the point of retirement 35 years of 10 grand that's 350,000 pounds of lost income which is the difference between a three bed house in a not so good part of town and a six bed house in a very good part of town it's the difference between a camping holiday every year and a luxury holiday twice a year it's a, it's a lot of money, it's a, it's a big deal. But then I said to them, push it forward beyond 35 years. Let's, let's go a 1,000 years, maybe 10,000 years or, or whenever Christ has returned and imagine you've been there for a couple hundred years in the new creation and then ask the question, what's the worst that could happen? Across the room, you see someone from Sunday school that you taught the Bible to for five or six years, that the Lord used your input to keep them Christian. You organize a a social on a Friday night, and it's your small group around. You've been enjoying friendship for 10,000 years. The Lord's kept you together, going, following Christ. I'm pretty sure I can guarantee that in those moments, you won't look back 10,000 years with sadness that you took the 10,000-pound pay cut. Look, I've used a pay cut as an example of the kind of choices we have to make in life. Please don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's wrong to work. It's not wrong to work well and hard in our day jobs. And for others who are Christians, we may well have chosen to take the pay rise, to go for the promotion for lots of good reasons. Maybe it opens up more doors for us to speak about Christ. That's last week. Maybe we can use the money we earn to bless and serve other Christians. That's very good as well. Maybe we can just be a great witness for Christ in our work. But I hope we can see that the certain return of Christ and the future Paul describes here helps us to assess what we are investing in. Money can be deceiving. Holidays can be deceiving. They offer much escape, peace, fun, relaxation. They rarely de- deliver as much as we long for. And if they do, it only lasts a few days. What about inviting friends along to join us on our holidays, to bless them, build them up, serve them whilst we're away? We can be deceived by fitness. It's good to care for our bodies, to look after ourselves. But it's possible to go too far and to begin to idolise our fitness to put our security and our trust in how healthy we are. And so we spend hours on our own in the gym or out training, exhausting ourselves in a health that will never ultimately last. There's so much more I could say. In just a moment, Chris Conn will come back, and he's going to introduce us to a plan that he's been putting together for how the church family can increasingly serve one another. I hope it will springboard off what we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians But as we finish this sermon, so many people today are deceived. They are investing the best of their lives, their time, their energy, their work, their dreams in things that cannot last. And Paul says to us this morning, remember eternity. Remember what is to come, the new bodies. No more death, no more sin. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord speaking about Christ, serving other Christians, because that work will never disappoint. It's, it's never in vain. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice again this morning in all that Christ has done for us. Uh, we thank you for his death and resurrection. We thank you that his experience has paved the way for us and father we long for that day when we are safe in the new creation beyond death free from sin with bodies that are eternal and perfect and father we ask that that certain future would shape our present please help us to be willing to exhaust ourselves now for the service of others And Father, please help us to see where we might be in danger of investing in things in this life that are ultimately in vain. Help us to believe that to serve Christians now is never in vain. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.